Good morning. Let's turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 7, and we're going to be picking up in verse 24. That's Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. And if you've been with us, we've been studying and we're continuing our study in the book of Matthew. And we've reached a section that is commonly known as the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 5 through 7, Jesus addresses and gives a sermon that was like no other. Those who listened to the message walked away and were astonished. Jesus' Jesus' message is still radical and powerful today. Jesus' message went against the cultural norms of the day and of the teachings of the religious leaders that were there. And he goes against the teachings of the world today as well. It's opposites. Jesus took what the world says and turns it inside out and upside down. He says, happy are the sad, those who are meek and those who are persecuted. And the world says, happy are the successful, the rich and the famous. Jesus' standard of righteousness, he said that the, the scribes and the Pharisees had a standard of righteousness and he said, you must exceed that righteousness. They looked at the temporal outward following the law. Jesus said, or the Bible said, you shall not murder, and they thought they were okay. But Jesus went a step further and said, if you have anger in your heart, you're also guilty. Jesus, they said, well, you know, don't, do not commit adultery. Well, I've never done that. But Jesus said, if you look at a woman to lust, you've committed adultery with her in your heart. Jesus took the commandments a step further. Jesus talked about believers being salts and light to this world, about loving not just your neighbor, but your enemy. And Jesus warned about riches and pleaded with people to not store up riches on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. He also asked, or he also went over and said, do not worry about your life, what you will wear, what you will eat, but seek his kingdom first. It was different than listening to the religious leaders of the day because he taught them with authority. And who better to teach them than the one who had all authority? God. So now we're going to pick up with the last section of the Sermon on the Mount. We're coming to the end, coming to a conclusion. And it says in Matthew 7, we'll start in verse 24. It says, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on a rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. And it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. And it fell, and great was its fall. And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. You see, Jesus comes here to the end of his sermon and he delivers a powerful conclusion. 
Jesus says that you can only come away hearing my message and be one of two people. You can only fall into one of two categories. You're either the foolish man or the wise man. There is no middle ground. The wise man heard his words and acted upon them. And the foolish man heard but did nothing. Today you have a choice to make with the things that you have heard. And as we've been studying the book of, Ma- the, the book of Matthew, but the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5 through 7, we've learned that the Sermon on the Mount was primarily addressed to believers, to his disciples. We see that at the beginning of the sermon where he says that um, he opened his mouth, taught them, saying, and the disciples came to him, um, and he taught them. And Jesus was there with the multitudes, but the disciples were his primary group of people he was talking to. And the, the, but the multitude was there, and they were um, also listening to what he had to say. And so I want to focus this message on two different groups. So first, I want to look at this parable with two perspectives. The true believers who have trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I want to look at how this can apply to us today. And then second, those who haven't trusted the Lord or or are unsure of where they stand before the Lord today. So believers, as I speak to you, what I mean is that at some point in your life, you've come to the point where you realized that I'm on sinking sand and that you need a Savior and you've trusted in Christ as your Savior, and now you are, um, your house is built on the rock. And so we, we usually hear this parable, and we think of that this applies to you know, the saved and those who are unsaved. But now as Christians, can we also apply this parable to ourselves? Can this also be used for us? Jesus was primarily addressing his disciples, and so I do believe that it equally applies to us as well today. Now, when I say that, I don't mean that we're talking about salvation. Salvation is, um, is not what we're concerning about, but um, the focus is on our service and obedience to the Lord. I want to ask you, what are you building on? There's an importance of building on a solid foundation. When this building was, this addition, this building that we're in right, this, this right here, um, we went through a whole process of having construction workers work on this building. And as you watch the progress of a new housing developer, or a new building being put up, you'll occasionally walk by and you'll see different stages of the building progress. And I like watching it go on and go on. And you'd drive by and you'd see maybe the brushes and the trees that were in this area beforehand being cleared out. And then you'd see the dirt being moved around. But you would be waiting a long time before you see any walls being put up, before any uh, framework shown. And you'd see them digging and digging and digging and weeks after weeks go, go by. And there's still no structure. What are they doing? Well, they're spending a lot of time focusing on the foundation. It's because it's so important. And then you finally start seeing the first frames and structures go up, and it's like within two days you have the framework built. But it's because the the most important part is your foundation. What is your foundation? And in fact, a proper foundation is crucial for any house. 
um, not taking the time to have a good foundation can have devastating consequences. You can show the first picture. Does anyone know what this building is? It's the Leaning Tower of Pisa, right? <clears throat> Does anyone know what caused this tower to lean? This construction of this eight-story bell tower started in the year of 1173. But the tower was doomed to collapse before the first brick was laid. In fact, if you look at the name Pisa, it will tell you a lot about why it's leaning. The name Pisa comes from a Greek word which means marshy land. And so the Tower of Pisa was built basically on a land that was kind of like wetland, which is the kind of land that gets covered in water for long periods of time. And this type of soil, um, the type of soil that the, power, the, the, the actual tower is built on was consisted of mud, clay, and sand, which is almost like quicksand. It was a building literally built on sand. The foundation was so poor that they, they say the tower began to sink after construction had progressed to the second floor. This was due to a near um, a merely three meter foundation set in weak, unstable subsoil. You show the next picture. I'm not a geologist or an expert of this uh, soil, but subsoil is basically the third layer you, you see here. The first layer and the second layer are basically scratching the surface. And so this building's foundation was only in the third layer, the subsoil. And what you want to be on is bedrock. You want to be on the bedrock. And the builders realized that the tower was leaning. They saw that it was happening. So they try to compensate. They try to correct the lean. If you go back to the tower, they, when they built the remaining levels, they started building them the other direction to help it lean the other way to find, kind of fix it. So now you have a tower that has a weird banana shape to it. But this didn't help. Ever since the Tower of Pisa was built, it continued to shift year by year. And it peaked finally at five and a half degrees off center. The Tower of Pisa would not be standing today if it weren't for a massive 10-year reconstructive project to bring it back to a 3.9 tilt that it is today. Experts say it will continue to stand for at least 200 years unless there is some catastrophic event like an earthquake or a natural disaster. The structure does still stand today, but its demise is inevitable because its foundation is poor. What's also interesting is that the Tower of Pisa is not the only building in that land leaning. The cathedral and other bell towers are sinking as well. Building buildings on sinking sand is foolish. The foolish man built his house on sand. Instead of tearing down the building and starting over with a good foundation, the builders hoped to fix it by making temporary adjustments to compensate for the bad foundation. And if you were to ask any contractor what the most important thing is when you build a building, they would certainly say the foundation. We understand and realize the importance of a foundation in, a, in the structural sense. We understand that. 
And it is equally a true, equally as important in the spiritual realm. Each one of us is building a house which represents our life. What are you building your life on? Are you building your life on the rock? Or is your life on shaky, unstable sand? Jesus makes it clear that those who hear his words and do them are the one who builds on the rock. The person who hears and just does nothing is on sand. And like the leaning tower of Pisa, their house will one day collapse. So as we look at this parable, I want to look at four lessons we can learn from the tower of Pisa. I mean, sorry, from the, the foolish builder and the wise builder, from this parable. <clears throat> First off, the, the foolish builder was short-sighted. The foolish builder was short-sighted. It's the path, the path of least resistance. It takes time to dig down, go deep, lay a deep foundation. You have to work hard to get down to that layer, to the bedrock. It's easier and faster to just start at the surface, build right on top of that. But the, like, the tower of, like the builders of the Tower of Pisa, they only dug a shallow foundation. You get your building up quickly, but you risk your building collapsing. You get your building up faster than the other person did. The wise man is there in the trenches still digging his, um, his, for his foundation. And you already got your structure up and you're inside drinking lemonade as the guy is sweating over there. Disobedience to God's word seems easier at the time. And it may get you what you want quickly. As believers, we will face judgment after we die. Not judgment for our sin, but we will stand before the Lord and give an account for the things we've done in this life. We will be either rewarded or suffer loss of reward. If we build on sand, we will suffer loss. 1 Corinthians 3.14 and 15 says, If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, not lose salvation, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. In 2 Corinthians 5, 9 through 11, it says, Therefore we make it our aim, whether absent or present, to be well-pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in this body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. The foolish builder wasn't looking ahead to the future rewards for obeying Christ. He was looking to the here and now. Now, we aren't saved by works, but our heavenly reward is proportionate to our faithfulness here. It should be our goal to be pleasing to him, to be well-pleasing to him. Whether we are absent from the Lord here in this earth, or we are present with him at the judgment seat of Christ. When we stand before him, do we want to Hear the words, well done, good and faithful servants. When you look at the, the life of the wise man, the, the house the wise men did, 
Do you see what he did? In Luke, which is a similar passage, Luke 6.48, it says that the wise man dug deep. He took the time to properly lay a foundation. He got all the way down to the bedrock, and his life was anchored to that. He looked towards the future because he wanted to lay up treasures in heaven and not on earth. Another parable in Luke talks about the foolish man. Luke chapter 12, verse 16 and 21 says, Then he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentiful. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will put down my barns and build a greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have, laid, you have many goods laid up for, for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. This rich man laid up treasures for himself with no thought of eternity. He was building on sand. He was short-sighted. And the Lord took him that night and he lost it all. His life was based on what he owned and made for himself. He hoarded and laid up treasures on earth. But once he left this earth, he left his treasures on earth and he was in heaven and he had no treasures in heaven either. He lost it all. Because he was short-sighted, he missed out on eternal rewards. The rains descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. The second lesson I want to learn from this parable is that it's it is impossible to avoid the storms of life. It is impossible to avoid the storms of life. We see in this parable that both the wise man and the foolish man face the same storm. The rain, the flood, and the winds beat on both of their houses. The goal isn't to avoid the storm or prevent the storm from happening, but to be, to be prepared for when it comes. What are the storms of life? What are the storms of life that we face? It could be losing a job, death of a loved one, we could have financial trouble, cancer, difficulties in marriage, trials and temptations. These storms come to both the wise man and the foolish man. It isn't about avoiding the storm. But do we try to avoid the storms of life? Do we try to put a cushion to protect ourselves from anything from happening to us? Do we build our lives in such a way that prevents us from anything harming us? Think of it like living in a bubble suit, trying to protect yourself from anything ever happening to you. And we like to protect ourselves and put a hedge around our lives so that no disaster ever shakes us. And now the world has insurances for policies for every type of disaster. We have insurance policies that, now some of them are required, and I don't recommend you don't have some of these, ones by law, of course, 
But to illustrate, we, we can build our foundation on protecting ourselves from any type of storms. We have jobs and we have second jobs. And then we have car insurance, medical insurance, life insurance, flood, fire, disability, homeowner's insurance, pet insurance, and umbrella insurance, which is basically another protective cover, an umbrella that kicks in once your other insurance policies don't kick in enough. Um, it's an all-else-fails insurance. And there's also alien abduction insurance in case you get abducted by an alien. There's 30,000 of those that have sold. But you do have to prove that you've been abducted, so um, it might be hard to file a claim on that one. But the point is that we try to do so much to protect our lives from financial ruin or from anything happening. What is your foundation? What are you building on? What does it look like to have a sandy foundation, to have a life that's built on sand? Well, I'd like to ask you this question as well. What is the one thing that would devastate you if you lost it? or it failed? What is the one thing that would devastate you if you lost it? Would it be your job? If your company went, over, uh, went under overnight or you were fired, would your life turn upside down and crumble from the weight of the storm because that was your foundation? Is your job your life? Would you um, be devastated if your health, you receive terrible news that you have terminal cancer? Is your life in shambles because your health was the one thing that you thought couldn't be touched? Is money your focus? Money is what matters to you most, and you build your life on being successful in this life, working late hours to have that promotion, to make sure that your life is set for future storms and for the rainy day, retirement, economic issues. Jesus said, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but lay it for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Jesus also tells us not to worry about our life. What will you eat? Jesus says in Matthew, he says, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on it. For your heavenly Father knows the things that you need, that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Is your house built on the sand of self? Is your Christian life given over to self instead of serving the Lord? What do you do with your time? Is your focus on having a good time, enjoying this life, trying to be comfortable, but failing to witness to the neighbor or the person? that God has tried to get you to witness to, to witness to that neighbor who needs the Lord. Or maybe we try to focus on avoiding persecution. We don't want to be persecuted. Not that we try to seek persecution on a daily basis, but Jesus says in the sermon, he says, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus is talking about blessings. He's talking about rewards 
for following his words. He wants you to have these blessings. He doesn't want to hold these back from you. But those who don't apply these, these, um, these sayings that Jesus has will lose out on those rewards. It's a loss of reward. These are the foundations that are like building on the sands, a reliance on self. The Sermon on the Mount has practical teachings that we can either heed or we can ignore. The third lesson I want to learn from this parable. You don't get through the storms by just listening to the word. You don't get through the storms by listening to God's word alone. If that were the case, you could go ahead and listen to me today and you could walk out and check that off your list because you've, you've heard God's word. It isn't enough to just hear God's word. If we look carefully, it's about listening to God's word and it's also about obeying God's word. It's good to hear his word. It's good to hear a sermon. It's good to read his word. But it's more important to do what he says. In James 1.22, he says this, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. If you only hear, hearing only, it leads to self-deception. You are like the foolish man who built his house on sand without realizing it. We may even eagerly study the Bible, wanting to know what God has to say. We want to gain the knowledge and be Bible experts. We gain all this knowledge, but we don't have any outlet of actually doing what it says. We fail to apply it to our life and act upon it. We have to be careful because this also makes us more responsible, more accountable to God for the things that we know. The foolish man easily forgets what he heard. He hears it and he possibly willingly forgets it. He hears it, but he doesn't want to change. He looks into the law, he looks into the, the word of God, and he sees it and it's a mirror reflecting his life. And he says, like, I don't like that. Okay, well, what's for lunch? And he forgets immediately what happened, what he saw. The Word of God shows you what you look like. He reveals your character. It shows you what you're thinking. It may show us things that we don't want to see. Character flaws. But it's there for a purpose that we look at it and say, okay, Lord, what are you saying to me? What do you want me to do? Let's not be the foolish man who chooses to forget. We also don't want to be casual, out-of-duty readers reading the Word of God. We've read the Word of God today and we checked that off our list. Okay, well, I got through that chapter. I'm good. Tomorrow I got that chapter. Okay, I'm good. But we want to go approach the Bible in a different way. We want to approach the Bible to see what does Jesus have to say to me? 
We should have our eagerness and our willingness to obey, to hear what God has to say and to act upon it. How often do we read God's word or we hear a sermon and we walk away doing nothing? We may even tell the preacher, you know, that was a great convicting message. Thank you so much for that. That really spoke to me. And then come Monday, we don't do what we were convicted about. We don't act upon what God was speaking to us about. How can you be a wise man? So I want to look at the last lesson is how we can build on the rock. How we can build on the rock. In the summer of 1966, a region of um, Quebec, Canada, experienced rainfall like no other month. It was in the month of July, and it rained almost every single day of that month. The rain fell, and it continued to fall and fall and fall. And the rivers and the lakes in the area started to swell up and get almost, they, they got filled up to the brim. And then on July 19th, rain was also predicted again, but even those who predicted it couldn't have couldn't have seen something quite like this. Over the next three days, the area of Saguenay experienced rainfall throughout the region of approximately four inches to 10.8 inches of rain, which is a lot of rain. It's an enormous amount of rain. The rain fell, and next, the floods came. You show the first picture. The lakes began to spill over to, and the rivers the rivers could no longer contain the waters, and the dams began to burst, and the floods came, and homes began to wash away. You can see up top there, this, is, this was a dam over there going down that way, and it's spilling over the other side, washing away all these houses that never expected water to come through that path. The flood destroyed 800 homes displaced over 16,000 people and caused $300 million worth of damage. One family got a knock on their, uh, their door one night during the storm. And they said, you need to leave this place immediately. Get out of your house. And so they did. The next morning, the husband got a phone call saying that their house was torn from the foundation and barreled down the river. It was, it, the house fell and great was its fall. So the next picture. There was another house. It was a little white house. Unremarkable. And it was built over 100 years before this storm hit. Uh, roughly 100 years. And almost directly behind this home was one of the dams. It's part of the other picture. You see the dam overflowing onto these structures and homes. And... This little home, um, almost directly behind this home, was the, the dam. The destruction of the homes and the buildings were catastrophic as the floods came and it kept pouring and relentlessly pushing on these homes. All of the buildings, all of the other buildings surrounding this home were wiped away. Go to the next picture. This home was the one structure that stood the, 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 the floods and the torrents as the other structures next to it were washed away. While the, when the flood finally subsided, the house was still standing. 
after four days of relentless flood and rain. As you look at this house, you can see why it survived the storm. If you go to the next picture, the house had a great foundation. You see the, the enormous foundation, and it's also built on rock. The house did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. All of the other homes may have looked identical. They may have, some of them may have even been better looking than the other, um, than that home. <clears throat> but the house built on the rock stood firm. And your foundation is what secures, your do, secures you during the storm. The house on the rock preserves or perseveres through the storms of life because his anchor is Jesus. His anchor is he is secure because he has trusted Jesus who will get him through the storm. He has trusted Jesus because he has heard God's word and he has obeyed it. He trusts what God says. We hear some of the things that Jesus says and we don't like to hear it or we don't want to follow it. Like, the, like I've been saying, do not lay up for yourself treasures on this earth. How often we want to do that. It is not too late to build on the solid foundation. You may have realized this morning that you have been building on sands, or maybe you didn't realize you were. But I want to say that there's still hope for you to hear this warning and act upon it. The, one of the um, important verses in James that we read earlier, I think the key is perseverance. James says that the one who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. He is like the wise man's house that stood, the, stood during the storms of life. His house stands, though others come crashing down. The wise man continues in God's word. He is faithful in it. He isn't a forgetful hearer, but a doer. He loves God's word and wants to do what God has to say to him. He is willing to change. I want to say that each one of us who are believers here today, we have the power to obey him. As an unbeliever, you had no power. You had no strength of your own to follow God's word. In fact, the old man wanted to do the very opposite. Without the Holy Spirit, you had no strength to obey him. But when the Holy Spirit was given to you, he gave you new desires. He gave you the strength and the will and the ability to do what he has asked you to do in his word. He gave you new desires. I'm going to read again 2 Corinthians 5.17, or this is the first time. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. <clears throat> in Ephesians 2.8 and 10, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we are saved by faith, by faith alone, and not by works. But we have been saved for works, to do works. These, are, these works don't keep or hold our salvation 
But when God saved you, he created you as a masterpiece. He, gave, he made you a new creation. He made you a wonderful masterpiece. You are his workmanship. And so God has a blueprint for each one of our lives. He has a plan that's laid out for us. He has work for you to do. And if we yield our lives to him, if we seek his will, if we read his word and see what it says for us and what he's calling us to do and act upon those, God will show us what he has prepared for us. 2 Corinthians 5.9 says, Therefore we make it our aim, whether absent or present, to be well-pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. If you persevere, you will be like the wise man who built his house on the rock. And that's the, and it, the house that stood the storms of life. He's able to say, um, he was able to stand when the rest come crushing down. Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. Now I want to look at, <clears throat> before I go there, I just want to say, what are you going to do with your foundation? What are you building on today? Are you building on the solid rock or are you building on sand? What are you going to do come Monday, hearing this message? Are you going to hear these words? Jesus came with a powerful conclusion to his message. Are you going to hear these words and walk away and do nothing about it? Or are you going to act upon it and be like the wise man? What foundation will you build your life on? And now I want to look at the application to unbelievers. As we look at the broader application to, we want to look at the broader application to Jesus' audience, the crowd, the multitude that was there. As I mentioned earlier, Jesus was primarily speaking to his disciples, but there was a multitude who followed Jesus and listened to his teaching. What can they take away from this message? Well, I'm going to ask the same question. What foundation is your life on? If you don't know Christ today, if you've never trusted him as your Lord and Savior, I want to say to you that you're building your life on sand. You're on sinking ground. The storm that is coming is different the storm is coming that is eternal judgment for sin. For those who have heard this word and have not obeyed by trusting in the Lord Jesus. And there is a great storm that is coming. And only one foundation will stand. The house that only hears Jesus and does nothing will end up with a catastrophic collapse. You may not realize that you're building your life on sand. Jesus said, enter by the narrow gates. There is a broad road and many who are going on it, but it leads to destruction. That is a house built on sand. The foolish man's house represents a religious, a religious life. Maybe on the outside, this house looks identical to the, the wise man's house. 
The only difference that you can tell from the two houses, you can't see it from the outside. It's really only the one that has the proper foundation. You can't see the foundation. We don't know what this building is on. But it's the one that stands the test of time. On the outside, your house looks good. And it's indistinguishable from the other houses. Maybe you've, uh, you've read your Bible. You say prayers and you've attended church your whole life. And you may do these things believing that you're on your way to heaven. To get there by your own efforts. But the way to heaven is not by works. But through faith alone in Jesus' finished work on the cross. And anything else that you're, anything other than that, you're building your life on sand. Anything else you're trusting in is not a firm foundation. And it's a sobering warning this morning is that this house built on sand, sand is bound for destruction. It isn't about avoiding the storm because it will come. Jesus is telling you and he wants you to hear and obey. Jesus said, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Many will say, you know, haven't we done many wonders in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done all these things? And Jesus will say, depart from you. Depart from me. I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. You know, my life was like that before I came to Christ. I had grown up in the church my whole life. I may have looked, my house may have looked identical to others here. In fact, I think it shocked many people. But my foundation was on sand because I was living in sin. In 1 Corinthians 6, 9, it says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. God gave me a wake-up call, and my world, it came crashing down. And I finally realized that I was a sinner, that I was practicing sin. That was my life. I was practicing habitually doing these things. But I still thought I was a Christian. I may have called him Lord at one time, but he wasn't the master of my life. Lord means master. Am I obeying, was I obeying my master? No. I had deceived myself. And I didn't know I was on shaky ground. <clears throat> Just like the people in Noah's days, they listened to Noah preach to them for years. They would listen but not repent. They mocked him instead of saying, uh, they said, where is this rain that you're talking about? It's not going to come. There would be no flood. But in the end, just as God promised, there was a flood, a terrible flood came. And only those found in the ark were safe from the storm. The rest of the people were washed away. Their house was on sand. Do you know for sure that your life is built on the solid rock of Jesus? If you're here this morning thinking and realizing, you know what, I, I didn't know I was on my life was being built on sand. I want to give you good news that it is not too late. That storm of ultimate judgment has not come yet. But you have time, you still have time today 
Today is the day of salvation, the Bible says. Don't put it off to another day. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus made it clear that there is only one way to God. There is only one way, and that is through Jesus. We can't be a good moral person building our lives on trusting on ourselves to get us to heaven or a religion that um, tells us there's another way to God. Jesus excludes all of those other things. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Other religious acts do not lead to God. Jesus is the one who died on the cross for your sins. He took the wrath and the punishment and the destruction that you deserved. Will you trust in Jesus for your only hope of salvation? Will you enter by the narrow gate? Jesus desires that you hear and obey his voice and you be like the wise man who built his house on the rock. And then you could be like the, the man in Proverbs that says, when the, world, when the whirlwind passes by, the wicked is no more, but the righteous has an everlasting foundation. You're safe and secure in Jesus Christ, those who have trusted in him. I love the hymn that goes this way. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. We get to the end of the Sermon on the Mount and we have verse 28 that says, And it, so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching. People were astonished. They were amazed. They were blown away by what Jesus had said. Do we see a definite change in the crowd? They walked away from Jesus' words and were astonished. But what did they do after? What was their response to his message? To just see, just to hear his words and be astounded isn't enough. What are you going to do with his words? We see later that another crowd in a few chapters later was there before Jesus yelling, crucify him, crucify him. Will there be a definite change in you hearing these words that Jesus said? What are you going to do with Jesus' words? What will you do with Jesus? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we do thank you for your word and for the potency of your word and the warning that you give to us, Lord, and that you tell us the end results of following your word, which leads to life and um, safety, Lord, to avoid this destruction or for disobeying and, and not following your word, Lord. We just pray that we would be uh, doers of your word and not hearers only, that we would not be forgetful hearers. We would not just walk away from your word and 
hear you speak to us and ignore it and forget what we've seen, Lord. We pray that you might um, speak to us through this week, that we might be not just forgetful hearers, but doers, Lord, and, be, and continue to build our life on the solid rock. We just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.